0: This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com I want to welcome everybody, all the people that were graceful enough to join us tonight, uh, even though we, we started... Temporarily or possibly permanently switching our classes from Thursday night to Wednesday night. And just for whoever wants on the, uh, virtual world from the Torah anytime world or anybody else where you're listening to this, that, um, if you want to join our live, uh, zoom classes, it's right now, it's every Wednesday night at nine PM. Um, and if you want to, you can get the link to join the WhatsApp where all the information is posted there. You could, uh, email me at rabbi zitron at g, at um, so we can, uh, um, or you could just look at that email address from uh, the tour anytime page. So, anyways, let us get uh, let us get started. So, the reason for uh, you know the, this topic and and this class on the of Us series is that one of the things that I learned. Baruch Hashem that I learned, I was taught more, I, I, more I could say that I was taught more than I learned, uh, early on in my, uh, public career, let's call it, is that many times people come to you with questions, with, uh, situ- situational issues, uh, and the, one of the things that, that, that I realized and I was learned and I was taught is that the more that you learn the origin of where they come from, the more that you can understand the question that they have, and the more appropriately you can answer them to the pl- to the real question that they're really asking and that is why what i'm trying to do to make it also like if i do imershion with rasham if i do get through the Alva series like it's going to be phenomenal cuz it's going to be historical there's going to be so many different aspects of it that are so important and because of that the southern works always so hard to prevent that from happening because it's going to be historical with amazing different types of stories in history you learn history you learn about character development we got a becoming a better person there's like so much to uncover on in this series but hopefully mirza Hashem, that we'll be able to uh you know to to finish this uh, but one of the the aspects is that if we get to understand the people that are speaking, the the, the authors of the Mishnahs in the Perkei Avos, we'll get to learn a lot about where they're coming from. And that is why tonight, in Meretz Hashem, with Hashem's help, we're going to be learning about Shimon but we're also going to be learning about Alexander the Great, which coincided during the same time period. And the more that we learn about someone, the more that we can understand where that person is coming from, the more that we can understand the Mishnah. There is... A I, I can't emphasize this enough. There is so much you can learn. Like I, I have I have this, you know, frequently happen where people call me up for let's say questions and I start grilling them about questions that are completely unrelated to the questions that they're asking me. And I don't usually tell them why I'm asking this, but I'll tell you guys why I'm asking this because the more I learn about the origin of that question, the more that I can answer that question. So and this is the this is really the the story behind anything. If you learn and this is why I was uh and I still am very very uh you know you know, pro pushing or or uh, you know, like th- think the importance of understanding the history of something or the story of something. When you look at different yom Taivim that we discussed over the years about the stories about different yom Taivim, it teaches you so much about that yom tov because you understand where that you know, the the essence of where that comes from, the history of where that comes from, and it really plays an important aspect of your understanding of the whole thing in its entirety. So. With that being said, I want to start off with, oh, first we have to start off, we're learning tonight, Le'ilu Nishmat, Rabbi Avram ben Chaim Yehuda, Rabbi Chaim Yehuda, and Yechaskel ben Rabbi Avram. So, um, we're going to start off with speaking about Alexander the Great. And Alexander the Great, you know, it's very interesting that he has the name The Great as his, like, last name. Like, when you say Alexander, most people cannot understand that it ends off with Alexander the Great. The interesting aspect of this is that possibly, probably one of the most famous human beings that ever lived prior to the age of the internet, because that completely disoriented you know disrupted the entire universe of, of fame. But before the internet age, you could probably say that Alexander the Great was probably one of the most famous human beings that ever lived. The most famous, and in fact, his uh, all his conquests and the way that he, you know, conquered were inspired by Caesar, by Augustus, by Mark Antony, by Napoleon, by Hitler. Again, not the greatest people in history, but he inspired a lot, a lot of people. And there's a lot. It's a very. i don 't want to say that it's rich in history, but it's it's been utilized very very heavily and and the well, the truth of the matter is it really was rich in history, but for different reasons the Country which he originated from was um, was actually a kind of a country near Greece. It wasn't actually uh, near Greece, but uh, really what happened was is that Greece had a bunch of different lands that everybody was competing. There was. Athens, there was Sparta, uh, you know, there were, there were, there were a bunch of this Macedonia. There was different, different areas that everybody was kind of fighting with everybody for hundreds of years. And they couldn't get, there wasn't like one general ruler all, you know, over the, the Greece as we know today. And there was kind of like a series of conflicts that were over these, uh, at this point in time were cities or countries. Uh, and what happened was, during the 4th century, about the year 370 BCE, there was a king that uh, came out of Macedonia, and he was known as Philip of Macedon, and he was the... Father of Alexander the Great and he was a very very you know he, he was a phenomenal warrior and he was able to over the period of, of many years I think it was about seven years he was able to to like unite all of the Greek city states meaning say so you had you, you know you had Athens you had Sparta, you had Thebes, you had uh, uh, Macedonia, and everybody had their own rulership he after many many hundreds of years I believe it was about five hundred years of everybody fighting with everybody he was was able to unite them all. Now, although he did unite them all through terror, through force, through killing many, many people, but pushing that aside, he did unite them. And Alexander was the son of this King Philip. His, his, uh, this King Philip had many wives. Uh, he had probably about eight wives. And the Alexander's mother was Olympias. And when he was born, she kind of put in his mindset that he was a Divine birth; she gave him very, very godlike features, even you know, like godlike beliefs of himself. Even since he was young, that he was descended from heroes and gods and things like that. Which anybody who knows the history of Greece can can uh, you know attest to to how that can easily fall into play. Now, when he was 13 years old, Alexander was able to tame a horse. There was there was a very, very wild horse that nobody could tame. And Alexander came to his father, came to this, and he said, "I'm going to be able to." do it. And he was actually able, at 13 years old, he was able to complete this this feat, which was not an easy feat. He was able to tame this huge horse, this like elephant of a horse, by the name of a Bucephalus. This horse, he was able to tame, and this became his horse. Whenever you see pictures of Alexander, uh, usually the pictures are associated with him and his horse. You see it's it's with this horse. This is the horse that he took. This is probably one of the most famous horses in history. Just like a like, Alexander was one of the most famous people in history. This horse was almost also one of the most famous horses in history. And when this horse died, uh, you know, in a in a battle, Alexander was so you know you know retrieved. He was so he was so grieved by it that he named many cities. After that, something that you have to know about Alexander the Great is that he named many cities after himself. Alexandria, for example, in Egypt, was named after him. So Alexander named a city after his horse. That's how connected he was with this horse. It was known as Alexandria Bucephalus, known after after his horse. So. This he was able to accomplish by the age of uh, thirteen. He had a very, very high level education back in his day. He was taught by none other than Aristotle, and Aristotle taught him about philosophy, medicine, uh, you know, scientific, you know, investigations, scientific, you know, discoveries. By the time that he was twenty years old, King Philip, his father, was assassinated, and now he became king. Now, a twenty-year-old kid, you know, becoming king doesn't usually take so well to the population, but he took a very, very strong stand. He firmly, firmly established his rule. He went and, uh, you know, he took his, the throne at the, at the age of 20, and if anybody went and revolted against him, he destroyed them. And in fact, there was a city called Thebes that resisted him, and he destroyed it completely. He killed, he only, put it this way, he only saved one person, a poet. By the name of Pindar, not that it matters. But he, he's killed everybody, saving only one person. So he established his rulership very, very firmly. And, uh, he started going and he started conquering lands. He was a very good, according to our historians, he was a good conqueror. He wasn't good, you know, keeper of the conqueror lands, but he was able to conquer lands very, very well. And he was able to do something that his father was not able to do. His father, Philip conquered all of Greece, united all of Greece, but the one thing that his father couldn't do, and it's probably according to historians, the reason is that his mother, Olympias, convinced him that this is his destiny – is that he was able to uh, conquer the Persian Empire. So to understand the Persian Empire, this happened during the, the Persian Empire of what we can understand the Persian Empire. That's the Perm story. This happened after the Perm story. So the Persian Empire ruled the entire world at that point in time. And Greece, now Alexander wanted to go and conquer the Persian Empire, now he will rule the entire world. We know that Baruch Hu showed Nebuchadnezzar a dream of all the empires that would rule the world. And the first part of the dream has already been fulfilled. We know Babel, Babylon was, uh, was, you know, ruling the, the, you know, the entire, you know, known world. And then Persia ruled the world. And now it was time for the third kingdom, and that was the Hellenistic Empire with the Greece Kingdom, and that was under the Alexander the Great. And this is where it started. He was like the star, uh, uh, you know, show uh you know um actor in this uh you know in this play now alexander uh you know there's a, there's a lot of very interesting stuff that's uh mentioned about him in history he was a heavy drinker uh substance abuser uh, he uh constantly lost self control had a violent temper um was so you know like inconsistent that he would arbitrarily like murder his advisors and his close friends. Like people that think, you know, the, the, the sad thing is that when people hear about famous people in history, it's kind of selective fame. They don't know everything. Alexander, even though he accomplished a lot, he wasn't the greatest person. He had many desires and he kind of indulged in all of them because he could have. And in fact, uh, you know, on this, the Gemara and Tamed, page 32, says a story about him that uh, one time he sat behind this running brook uh, to eat a meal and he was eating salted fish so he wanted to go he took the fish and he dipped it into the water to wash off the brine and when he ate it, when he smelled it it's it's it had an exceptional aroma he said something is different about this water and he started traveling along this brook and he realized that this brook this water comes from somewhere in Gan Eden. and this is what the Gemara says that he followed the brook and he arrived to the gate of Gan Eden and he called out in a loud voice open the gate for me and they responded, based off a of passage in Tehillim. It is in Tehillim chapter, uh you know, 118 verse 20. Yavoy yavoy. This is a gate of God, and only righteous people come through it. So, Alexander replied, but I'm a king. You know, I'm an important person. If you're not going to open the gate for me, at least give me something. So, they gave him from Gan Eden a skull. A skull. And he took the skull... And he put it on a scale. And on one side he put this skull, on another side he put all his silver, all his gold that he could have. And the funny or the weird or the odd thing out is that this skull, which didn't weigh a lot, outweighed constantly all this gold and all the silver that he had. So he went over to the, to the Chacham and went over to the sages and he says, what's going on over here? I got this skull and I can't, I can't out, outweigh it. So, they responded to him and they said, this is the skull of a mortal man. This is a human being. And its weight is so great because it lusts after all existing gold and silver. And then he, resp- he replied back to them, how do I know that you're speaking the truth, that this is really what this is, a human skull and it's, it's lusting after gold and silver? And they said, very simple test. You take some soil, some dirt, t- put it over the eye of the skull and then see what happened he put it over the eye of the skull it was satiated and then he was able to and then the the gold and the silver outweighed the skull and maybe we could say that the reason why this was shown to him is because this was his personality his personality was that he was never satisfied he was always trying to achieve more he was always trying to get more he was never satisfied with what he had when alexander came to the Near East where he campaigned against the superpower Persia, he sent a message to the Jewish people in Eretz Israel and Israel. And he said... Give me some help. Help help me out over here. So the Kohen Gadol, which was the spokesman at that time, he responded back. We can't help you because we have given our oath to Darius. Darius was at that point in time the Persian ruler not to bear arms against him. And we gave the word and we're not going to transgress it. So they kind of stuck with the Persian side. The Gemara... Uh, in Yuma, page 69a, relates a story regarding the Kusim. The Kusim went and they denounced the Jews to Alexander. And before I tell you the whole story of what's going to be about to be happening in this, based off this Gemara in in, uh, in Yuma, we have to t- figure, we have to understand who are these Kusim. So we have to go way, way, way back to the ten tribes. And this is a famous topic. People love this topic, the exile of the ten tribes. So if we understand the origin of this, we can understand a little bit better of where uh these who these Kusim are, where they're coming from, and what is related to our story. So when Shlomo Melach Shlomo Malach, King Solomon, was the son of King David, Shlomo Malach when he was nifter, the when he passed away, the people of uh, the Jewish people, the people of Israel, went and coronated his son Rehavim. Uh And now Reh- they went to Rechavam and said, "Listen, we were paying a lot of taxes. What's going to be now? Do we have to? Are you going to lo- lower our taxes? Are going to help us out over here?" And Rechavam, unfortunately, with Bad advice that was taken by his young advisors, he said, no, we got to increase the taxes. And he says, not only am I not going to take away your heavy taxes, I'm going to make it extra, you know, stronger and I'm going to make it extra stricter. So hearing this, the people were, they decided to, they're going to take matters into their own hands and not everybody, but 10 mostly of the 10 tribes, they went and they decided that they're going to separate and they're going to make their own kingdom. And this was known as, the, this was part of the no, northern part of Israel. And they decided they're going to set up their own kingdom and they're going to set Yeruvim ben Nevat, Yeruvim the son of Nevat, as their king. And this was known as the northern kingdom or the ten tribes as we know today. Now, Yeruvam, who was the king of these ten tribes, he realized that he's going to have a threat to his rulership. He wanted, obviously, he got a position over here that he was ruling ten tribes of Israel, and he wanted to keep it. But the problem was, is that the base of Migdash, the temple, was not in his land. It was in the land that didn't that he didn't rule. It was the land of part of Yehuda, of Yehuda, Benyamin, and Levi, which is the southern part of the southern kingdom of Israel. So now what he decided to do is that he decided that he's not going to allow people to go and travel to the base of Mikdash. Cause he wanted, now again, this is not based off a religious act, this is completely a political, uh, you know, tactic. And what he did was, which was very wrong, he placed shrines. He placed guards and he placed shrines at these, uh, at these junctions that people should be prevented from going to the base of Mikdash. And unfortunately, he spearheaded a new, avoid Zara, adulterous idolatrous cult among the ten tribes, which eventually destroyed them completely, spiritually and we'll soon see physically. Now the kingdom of these uh, ten tribes throughout the years were universally wicked they were not good you know uh um righteous uh you know people that would go and take them in the way of the torah and, and they they kind of had a different agenda and the people ended up, unfortunately, sinking into uh, a, a morass of idolatry. And unfort- even though the, a vast majority of the ten tribes kept the Torah, they were beyond, They came to a point of beyond salvation. And even though HaKadosh Baruch Hu, God gave them time and time again to, for repentance, they did not repent. And their fate was eventually sealed. The kingdom of the ten tribes lasted for a whopping 241 years. That's how merciful God was. He lasted 241 years just waiting for them to repent. And unfortunately, the exile of the ten tribes ripped away about 80% of the Jewish population. And they were taken into, at that point, was the Assyrian captivity. The, the Assyrian policy was that they would remove the, in, Digious, uh a population wherever they were, and they would swap them with a different. They would kind of repopulate them somewhere else, and they would swap. They would take people of one country if they captured it. They would take them. They would bring them to point B, and they would take people from point B and put them to point A. This is where the kusim, which were known as the Samaritans, this is where they were swapped. So the ten exiles were trans were were exiled to. To a certain extent, an unknown place, and Sancherib, the Assyrian ruler, went and replaced them with these kusim that we're dealing with in our uh, story. These kusim, they came; they were, uh, you know, they were They were idolaters, and they brought their gods from wherever they were to Israel. And they started worshiping their own gods, and what happened was is that Eretz is a very holy place. You bring tuma, you bring it into it, it's not going to respond, you know, the right way. And they brought these Avodazara into the idolaters, into idolater, the idols, into the land of Israel, and Hakadosh Baruch sent like a uh, um, a plague of wild lions. If there's any plague that you don't want, it's a plague of wild lions, right? There's one thing is if that you see a deer in your backyard. There's even something that you see a bear in your backyard. But if you see a lion in your, your backyard, that's when you're going to start saying, you know what? I'm going to go inside. You know, I'm not going to play around over here. There was a plague of wild lions. And they realized, they were like, wait a minute. Their thought process was the god of this land... Does not like the gods that we brought from our lands. So they decided they're gonna worship the god of this land, which was Akadish Baruchu. But they didn't only worship one God. They also worshiped their own gods. So they worship both. They had their gods and they had the, you know, they worshiped also Akkadish Baruchu. So these are the Kusim. These are the Samaritans that we're dealing with in the story with Alexander the Great. And just to give you a little bit of a, of a, of a historical understanding, let me, let me tell you a little bit of just, just like to know where we're standing in history. So the base of Mikdash was built in the year 827 BCE. Two hundred and seventy-one years later, after the base of was the first base of Megiddo was built, this is where the ten tribes were exiled by Samcheiriv. hundred and thirty-three years after that, the base of the first base of was destroyed. About sixty-six years after that, that's when the story of Purim happened, and. About four years later, the, the year you know seventy seventy years after the destruction of the first base, that's when the second temple, the second Beit Hamikdash, started being built. Forty years after that, that's where the story of Alexander the Great and Shimon Sadek. That's where our story begins. So now, going back to our original um, you know story with with the, the Kusim, and this is based off the Gemara Numa page sixty nine. A, if anybody wants to look it up. These accusem uh, went and they falsely claimed that the Jews cursed the emperor during their prayers in the base of Mikdash. They went over to Alexander the Great and said, Listen, so you have Jews living in Jerusalem that they're going and they're cursing you and they want you to fail. Now... Alexander was furious to hear about this. This is a king who very much wants to go and, and spread out his name throughout the entire world. He puts statues or wherever he went. He was very much into his own fame. If he, you tell him that someone's cursing him, forget about it. Right? You know, like as if in Brooklyn, right? Forget about it. He's going to go and take care of business. So he goes and he gathers his army and he starts marching towards Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And the Jews hear about this. They were terrified. They were terrified on twofold. Number one, he's coming in Based on full as- aspects. But number two, when Alexander the Great was fighting the Persian Empire, he came to the Jews and he asked them, Can you help me? And they said, No, we're backing the Persians over here because we gave them our word. So now they're 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 scared for two reasons over here. So they proclaimed uh, public fast, their tanasim and prayers, and uh, and Alexander the Great was coming. And when Shimon Atzadik at heard about this. He dressed, Shemana Tzaddik was the Kohen Gadol. He dressed in his big Day Ka'una. He dressed in his priestly garments. And he went together with thousands of young Kohanim. that were bearing a torch, dressed in the big Day Ka'una. And uh, but with a bunch of other dignitaries. And they went over to greet Alexander the Great. When Alexander the Great saw Shemana Tzaddik, he got off his horse and he bowed down. Now, to just tell you, this is the horse, right? This is the horse. This is the, the, the big horse. His horse was a huge horse. Alexander was a, was a tall person, was a very big person. He also wore a plumbed helmet, which made him even bigger. Standing all in all, he was over 13 feet high. It was a statement. If he goes and he gets off his horse... I don't know if anybody has ever written a horse, you know, rode a horse before, right? But generally, you know, horses are big, but then there are big horses, right? If you ride an elephant, there's like a completely different ball game that we're playing over here. The horse that Alexander had was like a small elephant. He, it was like a, a, you know, like it was showing, he saw it, it was very interesting. He saw and they locked the eyes, And he was coming to fight. He gets off his horse. This is Alexander the Great, who had one of the biggest egos in history. He goes and he bows down in front of Shemen Atzadik. And it was so odd that his officers go over to him and they say, Alexander, then they're like, I don't know what they call them, you know, the Great or whatever it was, Mr. Great. What are you doing? You're bowing down? To a Jew? Like what's going on? And he responded, and he says, Before every battle, battle he was very, very, very successful in his wars, to the point that he wasn't he didn't lose a war. And he said, Before every war, I see the vision of this man. This is the reason that I win my my wars. And he went and he and he bowed down to Shimon Atzadik. At and he goes over to Shimon Atzadik at and says, What's up? What are you doing over here? And what did you come over here for? So Shimon uh, along with the entourage that came, and they responded in a very respectful manner. They said, is it possible that there are wicked people that are falsely leading you to destroy the very temple in which we pray daily for you and the longevity of your right? And Alexander asks him, he says, what are you talking about? Who are these people? If you're doing so much for me, who are these people that want to destroy you like you're doing so much for me? And he points over to the Kusim, the Samaritans who are sitting right there and he says, it's them. They're the ones that want to destroy us when we're only praying for your success. So, Alexander the Great took the Samaritans, and he said, and he goes over to Shimon HaTzadik, and he says, "You do with them as you please." He placed them in in their hands, and Alexander made a peace treaty with Shimon HaTzadik. Shimon HaTzadik then went, and he took and he took Alexander the Great to uh, the base of Mikdash, and they reached a point where no non-Jew is allowed to pass this point. And Alexander the Great wanted to go, and he said, No. Uh, Shimon Atzadik said, No, you're not allowed to pass this point. This is the point where non-Jews are allowed to go up to tilt. More than this, you cannot go so Alexander the Great didn't respond to that, but he said, okay, fine, I want to put a monument of me. Any monument you see of Alexander the Great, nine out of ten, it's always with his horse. It's, you know, you see his horse, with a, this is his famous horse, the Basophilus horse, and he wanted to put a monument of himself over there, and uh, Shemin Hatsadik says, no, you can't put a monument over here. We Jews, were for, we are forbidden from making statues and graven images, but Shemin Hatsadik responded. He says, instead, what we're gonna have done is that every Jewish boy that is born this year is gonna be named Alexander after you. And Alexander was very happy with that, right? That would be a lot more. Shimon Atzatek played this very well. He, but you knew, you knew that that Alexander the Great was looking for his ego. And if he says, "I want to put my statue over here," he's gonna to have to put his. But Alexander the Great said, "No, no, no." I mean, Shimon Atzatek told Alexander, "Says so, no." We're gonna name, we're gonna do you better, we're gonna name every Jewish boy that's born this year, we're gonna name it after you. And that's where the name Alexander or Sender came, uh, you know, from that. The commentator, of Mefarshim, explained, like, wait a minute, if you have someone here that's a wicked person, that didn't, that, how could we name someone after them? So the Mefarshim explained that Alexander, he was a student of Aristotle. And Aristotle realized that there's only one God. And he passed this ideal to his student Alexander, and Alexander set to wage war against all these pagan nations. He he realized that it's all nonsense. It's all not even though Greece, it's all about the the so many multiple gods. You know, anywhere from Zeus to Nike to like there's nonstop amount of gods that you know that that uh, you know Greece had. And he realized that it was all nonsense. And he realized that there is one god, and this is based off his teaching that he had from his teacher. So because of that. He the the Mepharshim said it was right and it was okay for Shimon HaTzadik to go and name, have everybody named. Because at the end of the day, even though he did bad things, but he realized that there is one God. He realized there was a unity of one God. And this is very interesting. This is one of the reasons why he saw the vision of Shimon Atzadik at Shimon Atzadik at represented the one God. And that is what he saw before he went into battle. And one of the aspects of his battles was he wanted to destroy this nonsense of idolatry. Even though to a certain extent, the majority of it said he wasn't really successful in that. But that was his, uh, you know, according to the Mefarshim, that was his background. That was his thought process. Now the Gemara in in uh, Tamid, page 32a, brings down a very interesting story. That the Gemara relates that Alexander the Great, he went and he posed ten questions to the Ziknehanegad, the the elders of the south to, to Torah sages. And he went and he asked them a bunch of questions. And we'll soon see what was the reason behind these questions. He goes over what, you know, the first question was, who is a chacham? Who is a wise person? So the elders responded, Somebody who sees what will be. The Masha explains, that basically, what does it mean that someone who sees what will be? Who's considered a wise person? Not that you have a lot of wisdom, that you're able to see what's going to happen in the future. You're able to predict what's going to happen based on the wisdom that you have in the past. The Masha takes this a step further. Haraya es You know who is wise? Someone haraya who sees es ha also means the future, but it could also mean noilat when you're born. Says the Masha, you want to know who's a wise person? Somebody who can see haraya es knows why he was born. What is the reason that you were placed on this earth? You want to be considered a wise person? You want to be considered a smart person? Why were you placed on this earth? Were you placed on this earth to open up a business after business after Business and buy real estate after real estate after real estate and focus or what you're here to accomplish something spiritually. the marshal explains this that if you see the reason that you were put into this world you are put into this world not to accomplish physically you are put into this world to accomplish spiritually that is somebody who is wise that is somebody who is considered a chacham. The sages the, the Alexander the Great went and asked the sages another question. So, who is a Gebur? Who is somebody who is a mighty man? And the sages responded, you want to know who is a Geeper, Who is a mighty? Someone who as yitzray, somebody who is able to go and conquer his yetsahara. You know what a mighty person is? A mighty person doesn't matter how much muscles and how much you can bench press and how many people you can beat up. A mighty person is how much you can conquer your evil inclination. Every single one of us has these desires, the things that we need to do. And the, you want to know what makes you mighty, what makes you strong? And that is, can you conquer your desires? We have desires for anger, for different pleasures, for different things. If you're able to overcome those desires, you are a giber, you are a mighty person. And Alexander the Great went on and he said, "Who is an usher? Who is a wealthy person?" And the sages responded, "Ezuah, usher, Assamah,al, somebody who is happy with his lot." A wealthy person is not somebody who constantly goes and acquires more and more and has billions and billions of dollars. That's not a wealthy person. A wealthy person is someone who is satisfied with what he has. Because a wealthy person at the end of the day, what defines wealth? What defines contentment? If you have billions of dollars in your bank and you can't don't have the ability to spend it, are you wealthy? No, you're wealthy when you're satisfied with what you have. True wealth is not measured by the amount of money that you have in your bank account, but it's rather with if you're happy with what you have. Now, the Shah asks, why did Alexander ask these questions? What's up with these questions? And the reason is that Alexander had a huge ego. And he wanted the sages of Israel. These are the sages. These are the smartest, most sophisticated, mo- most advanced intellectually people on planet Earth. These are the chachamim during the time of Alexander the Great. This is a time during the, you know the second base What is it? He wanted them to praise him. I want you to praise me. He said, "You know what is uh, you know uh, you know what is a a uh, uh, a wise man?" Meaning that. He learned by Aristotle. He was waiting for them, be like, wait a minute. They were supposed to answer, you are a wise man. Cause you learned by, you have the Aristotle wisdom. you know, like, who is a mighty person? I conquered so many lands. Like, of course, he was saying, who is a mighty person? There was a, he was the most mightiest person alive at that time. And he was fishing for compliments, so he goes over to the sages. Who is who is wealthy? Who is mighty? Who he was looking for to say, "You Alexander, you Alexander the Great, you Alexander the Great." That's what he was looking. But the sages did not respond. That the sages said, "Oh, you want to know who is wise? Haraya is someone who sees the future. Nothing to do with you. Yeah, nah, you're not wise. I just, okay, who is a mighty person? I conquered so many lands. I rule over the entire world." And he said, "No, no, no, that is not." Might that has nothing to do with might. You want to know might if you're able to overcome your desires. And then he said, "Okay, fine, but who is wealthy? I have so much wealth." He, the, during the time of of uh, you know the story of Parm, we know how much wealth Achashverosh had. Alexander the Great was able to capture the entire wealth of Persian Empire. So he was extremely wealthy. He was waiting to say, okay, obviously, you know, money in the bank, that talks. Obviously you're going to have to say that it's me. I am the most wealthiest person alive today. You have to say that it's me. And they said, no, it's nothing to do with you. You want to know who's wealthy? Someone who's satisfied with what he has. Alexander was never satisfied with what he had. So the elders, the Zakanin, Told straight forward to Alexander the Great that he did not possess any of these great attributes that he was fishing for compliments. So obviously, this didn't make Alexander the Great super duper happy. He was kind of upset during this of this situation that he was looking for compliments and no compliments came forth. And he went over to the sages and he says, who is the wisest among you? Meaning that he wanted them to figure out who's the... And he was going to avenge. He was going to take revenge on that person. And he's going to say, like, you know what? Let me take revenge on that person. Because obviously you're not showing that I am the mo- most wisest, most powerful, most successful, most richest person in the world. And they responded to them without fearing him. We're all, you know, equally wise. We all came to this uh conclusion by ourselves. So... Alexander responded, and he said, I don't understand. He says, you know how strong I am. You know that my, you know, thought process is not always up to par with you know, I don't think he said this, but, like, you know, like, he was known that he wasn't the most logical person at that time. Like, he murdered his own advisors. Uh, so, he, they replied that he said, you know, like, listen. He said, what is true is true, and we respond to what's true. They knew that they were correct on every point. So Alexander told him, he says, you know, you defeated me in my debate, but now you deserve death. So the Zucanian responded back, says, wait a minute. He says, you promised us before this debate that if we would win, you wouldn't harm us. So Alexander went and he dressed these Achaemenes in purple. argamon is like royal color, and he placed golden ornaments around them as a as a sign of deference, as a sign of, of respect, uh, you know, to them. Meaning that even at this point in time, Alexander the Great was the most egotistical person ever. And the Chachamim, they realized. They said, "Wait a minute!" It says, "This is what's true, and we're not going to deviate from the truth, and we're going to tell you as it is." Political, political correctness, There's, there was nothing of that. There's a woke environment, there was nothing of that. This is what's true, and this is what we're going to tell you. And that's what they said straight out. And they, you know, who knows what's gonna happen when you're dealing with something, but Alexander the Great respected them for that. And respect them for, for, for what they said, the honesty that they said. The hour is getting a little bit late. I wanted to go. We just basically started on Alexander the Great. I wanted to speak about Shimon HaTzadik and how it relates to it, but we're going to have to hold off because I re- I don't like to rush through these things. So we're Mir next uh, next week. We're going to speak about Shimon HaTzadik, but just to understand understand who Alexander the Great was. Alexander the Great was a very, very egotistical person. He was very much, you could see all about the statues that he placed throughout the entire place that he conquered was always statues upon himself. And he went and he only cared about himself and still the Chachamim, they said, this is what's right. We're not going to stand down. I'm not going to be scared about you. If this is what's right, then this is what we're going to stand for. And this is what we're going to say. And how true is this in this day and age? There is so much fake stuff going out in the world with the gender stuff. And I don't even want... I, I, If I'm going to go down this path, it's going to be a problem. Not for anybody else. Just for my blood pressure. The truth is... Because it's it, like the stupidity of where we have landed as a society... We can't even begin to understand. Like, how do we end up over here? And one of the reasons is because we're afraid. We're always people pleasers. We always want to please what the other... We always want to say what the other person wants to hear. A lesson that you could learn from the Chachamim over here. Many lessons, and we're going to soon, we'll speak about it next uh, in our next class. But one of the many lessons is that if something is true, just stick to it. Forget about the PC culture that we're living with, the woke culture, the stupidity of the the society that we live in, of what the, the you know, the, the for anywhere from gender, to from the LGBTQ, the, the stupidity that we live in. If something is true, we stick to that. And you know what? Alexander was the most... There's nobody that has a higher ego today that has a higher ego than Alexander. And when the Chachamim stuck to their guns and said, no, this is the honest truth and this is what we're going to... Guess what? Alexander respected them. Alexander the Great respected them. Now... With this being said, this is really going to end up being, I didn't think that it would be a two-part series, but it's going you know, to, you know, because Hashem wanted it, with Hashem's help, it's going to be a two-part series. We have to real, we have to understand the aspect of where Alexander the Great is coming from, and then we're going to learn the history of Shimon Atzadik, at and then when we plug them in together, we're going to be able to see what Shimon Atzadik at taught us and the reason of why he, uh, he taught that to us. And with that, we will open up to any uh, questions. Okay, first we have to bring up a question. I see that it wasn't brought in over here, but a question that was brought up before we started the class. Um, And that is, you have, you know what, the truth is, the more that I'm thinking about it, the more that I'm going to go off on a Way big, you know what? Okay, fine. The question just came through, so I'm gonna have to respond about it. Let me let me read the question. At um, I've been I've been thinking about it, but um, because the question just came in again, I'm gonna uh, respond to it now. So uh, let me let me just read the question. Rabbi, please share about the times now we can 't trust simple places that are now having mass shootings, for example, the library, the grocery, the stores, the synagogues, the Hebrew schools we're in a bubble of learning and growing and people can 't we can 't trust um, and I want to answer this on a a little bit of a different level there 's a lot that I have to speak about this, and i don 't want to make this personal because That's the part when you're not thinking logically. And I'll tell you why I'm coming from that angle. Over the years, I've done many, many, many favors for many, many different people. And some people are very grateful and they respond graciously and may they be blessed until 120. And other people, and this is not new, the Chachamim tell us this, that if you do favors for somebody, just expect that they're gonna do something bad. You know, they're gonna, they're gonna re-, you know, respond in a, in a negative manner. And that is that I've noticed that the more I've done for people, the more that kind of I get a very, very negative response. And, I, and I'm hesitant in the words that I'm using because I don't want to Reveal who I'm speaking about because, again, I'd, I'd, whatever is it's not related to like anything. But like over the years, like I've done a lot of favors for many people, organizations, like like from you know from a wide spectrum of things. And Baruch Hashem, Hakadosh Baruch Hu gave me the Siyata the the, the bracha, the ability to be able to be involved, and I'm very happy that I did it. And some, not all of them, but some of the organizations, some of the people, I realized they. I can't say they come against me, but they kind of, like, kind of against, but, like, not fully. Like, against. And I was thinking at one point, maybe I should take this personally, but I decided not to, like, because, like, I don't know. I, I generally don't take things that personal. Baruch Hashem. That's one of the reasons that I'm able to do what I'm able to do. And um, one of the things that I noticed is that No matter how much you do for somebody, the way that you're able to determine your authenticity of what you're doing is by realizing how much that bothers you. And I realized that if this bothers me a lot, that means that everything that I did that I did until now was not really that authentic because I did it for like, okay, wait a minute. I did it for you. Now you owe me. But if I do it and I'm like, okay, I did it for Hashem, I did it for God, and you don't owe me anything, because I didn't do it for you, I did it for God, then okay, you're going to go against me, you're not going to go against me, it's irrelevant, I didn't do it for you, I don't care, like, you know, like if you're going to go against me, because I did it for God, I did it for, for Baruch Hu's children, the, the Jewish people, and that's the reason that I did it. So, in brief, and this is very brief, because I could speak about this in such length, but I really want to keep it brief. You know, we have these... You know, the, this places or people that we feel like we can't trust. And, you know, there's the shootings, whatever it is. If we feel affected by these things, then we have to realize that we're not that genuine as we thought we were. If we're as gen if we really really want to serve Akadish Baruch, Hu, if we really want to serve God, then if people offend you, if people don't follow you, if people hurt you, if people do if people are not genuine to you it is what it is. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Because I'm not doing this for the respect. I'm not doing this for the comfort. I'm not doing this for the ability to believe that I have a safe haven in this location. But you know why I'm coming to these places. You know why I'm doing what I'm doing is because I am doing it for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. God has given me everything and anything that I've ever had is all because of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Now, I may not understand any of everything, and I may not come to the conclusion of realizing of why this person is doing what they're doing. But if I understand what I did, and what I am doing, and what I will do, is only for HaKadosh Baruch Hu, then guess what? If people are not going to follow you, if people are not going to do with whatever you do, if people are going to go against you, if people are going to fight against, you know, like whatever you're going to be able to do and you don't feel that comfort and you don't feel that you know, a lot of us, we like to feel our home, right? Our home, that's our solidarity. That is our place of where we have that ability to feel, you know what? This is my base and no one can mess with me because this is what I built. I've come in from who knows how far and I have come to here because of what I did. Guess what? If you have that thought process, it wasn't genuine. Now, I One of the things that anybody that knows me knows that I don't speak about what people want to hear. I speak about what I believe and this will offend some people. And for that, I am partially sorry because I don't like to offend people, but it has to come through the truth. We have to realize that no matter where we have reached in our lives... And I guarantee you, what I'm saying right now, I'm saying it in a very, very broad way. But you could each and every single one of you that is listening to this message can hear that internally and put that into your own life. That wherever you have reached in your life, you have been insulted. You have been feel, you know, you felt that you have got violated to a certain extent. And you want to know why you feel that way? Because you did something That you feel you didn't deserve. You did something for that other person. He says, I didn't deserve that reciprocation of that. I accomplished so much, God. I have come so far. Why have you been giving me this? That means that everything that you have done was not Lashem Shammayim. Now, it's not all over yet, because if you're listening to this, you can really think about it, be like, wait a minute, let me change my mindset. You know what, Kaddish Baruch Hu? You have not been thrown the dice the way that I've wanted it to. But guess what? Everything that I've done until now, I am thankful and I'm happy that I've done it. Even though it hasn't reciprocated, and what it happened now? Again, what I'm saying right now has a little bit of a personal, uh, you know, issue uh, into it. And I'm really, I'm, I'm honestly speaking more to myself than to anybody else. Most of the time, I speak to other people, but right now, my honest truth, I'm speaking to myself because I do, and I try to give, and I try to give, and I give, and I give, and I give, and I, give. And I feel like sometimes I like, Phew, I really get it back. Like in a negative way. And I have to think about like, wait a minute. Why is it that I am doing this? Like, what am I doing this for? Am I doing it for my COVID? Then guess what? Like, for my co- it's not worth it for my COVID. Like, honestly, it's really not worth it for my covet. I'd rather not do it for my COVID. But uh, the honest truth I'm doing, because this is what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants, to spread Tyra, to go and spread it out. He wants to give so much, and he wants us to continue to doing the right thing. And we're not doing it for ourselves. We're doing it none other than HaKadosh Baruch Hu told us to do it. And we are slaves to Akadish Baruch Hu. Baruch Hu gave us everything, and we owe him everything. And that's why I am here, and that's why I do what I am doing. And each and every single one of you are doing things right now. And later, you're going to come to the realization that be like, wait a minute, but like I don't deserve this, Akadish Baruch Why? Why are you doing this to me? And the reason is, is stop for a second and I can guarantee you this oh this is a guarantee that if you realize right then and there that you said, you know what I'm doing this for you not for me I can guarantee you to a certain extent that I, whatever I can guarantee you that all of a sudden you're going to see the problems they're going to melt away all the stuff is going to melt away this is the, the aspect of a right but once you realize that it's all Baruch Hu, all you want to do is just for Baruch Hu, you're going to realize that everything's going to melt away the truth of the matter is, is that the person that asked this question, it has really very little to do with that question. I really went off on a tangent, but I feel like it's an important aspect, at least for me, if this is none other than just for me to, you know, you know, to hear or to hear myself, right? Sometimes, you know, the best therapy is when you hear yourself. Just to tell you a story that just popped into my mind, there was a rough that was a doctor, I'll tell you the name. I'm trying to remember. I believe is Rabbi Dr. Weinreb. Don't quote me in that because I'm saying this story off memory. I didn't prepare to say the story. I read this story a while back. I believe this was him. And he was in his young 30s. He was in Baltimore. And he was trying to figure out what to do with his life. He had a lot of questions. And he decided that he wanted to reach out. To the Lubavitcher Rebbe, the Lubavitcher Rebbe was alive, he says, I need help with the Rabbach Rebbe. So he couldn't make it to the Lubavitcher Rebbe, you know, so he called over the Gabbai. And he told the Gabbai, he says, I need to speak to the Lubavitcher Rebbe, I'm a man from Baltimore and I have some questions. So the Lubavitcher Rebbe, you know, assistant, he went over to the Rebbe and he said, I need, you know, this. The, I have a man on the phone. He's from Baltimore and he needs to speak to you, he has questions about his life. And the Labba responded to him. He says, "If he's from Baltimore, and he asked questions about his life, this man had questions. He was a ravi. He had, you know, he wasn't sure which path to take. Maybe he should go through more in the secular. Maybe he should go more. Than, he wasn't sure which path to take." The Labba Abba responded. I believe his name was Ryan Rebbe. He said to the the, the, um, the Lababach Chrebber responded. He says, "If he's from Baltimore." Now, the Lubavitcher Rebbe never heard his name. He doesn't know who this person was. He doesn't know that this person's name is Weinreb because the Weinreb never mentioned to the by who he was. He just said, I'm a man from Baltimore that needs help with the Rebbe. So the Rebbe responded, if you're from Baltimore and you need help, there is a man by the name of Weinreb in Baltimore. Go and speak to him. So the rabbi hears this and he goes over to the man on the phone and he says by the way the rabbi just said that uh, there's a man wine rep in Baltimore if you need to speak to the rabbi you know you want to speak to somebody speak to this wine rep over there and this rabbi wine rep is he's like what? He's like I am that wine rep like that's me I'm the one. I need to speak to the, I am the wine rep and the rabbi says then you need to speak to yourself this Weiner, was a rabbi. Oneer was a very successful, you know, like very, very, you know, big rough. And he says that's who you need to speak to. And many times in our life, we do many, many things, and we don't realize, you know, who we need to speak to to figure out where we're holding and why we're down and why we need to fix and why we need to speak to ourself. Yes, it's important to go to the rabbanim and read. But sometimes we need to look in the mirror and talk to ourselves in the most normal way possible, right? What's going on? Why are you here? Why are you upset? Why are you sad? Why are you down? Why, look? The, once we started covering this, that's where all our answers will, will, will lie. Went off a little bit on attention. but there's a lot more that I want to speak about that. I'm actually holding myself back on that, but just a little bit of a tidbit of information based off the question. Again, the person asked the question, I probably didn't answer your question fully, but I kind of went on a tangent based on my own personal things. So I hope that you all gained from that odd uh, tangent. Uh I feel it was important and um looks like that was the final uh question to each and every single one of us. May we have a most amazing successful week. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by Torahanytime.com.